Dedicate for tonight. Rachel Bas is Chaim Shimon. The Yotzei Zayin El. Should be good to better for the Mishpacha. The whole family should have a long life and health and happiness and joy. Very, very rich parasha, very, very many mitzvahs. With focus. Period. It's <laughs> one sentence. We need to focus. Baruch Hashem and our family was zeichen out to another child getting engaged Baruch Hashem the third wedding this year third Chazen Kala Lepshin Pei Gimel we should have Anichas Yom Mishanim should be able to build a bias then be Israel edifice that would make Kal Yisrael proud, as they will. They should live a lack of anything, they should never have to love with anything twice. And one of the main things are that they're Older siblings get married as well before them, even so that they would be that would increase their joy even that much more. So, begins about going out to war. I've said before. You'll go out to war against your enemies, and God will give them in your hand, and you'll capture. There's different types of wars. There's a war that's called Mechemes Chayva, that one needs to go out to fight, that God commands go out and do this fight, and there's Mechemes Hashus. Amisha decides that this war has to be held. Our Mechama that we're talking about here in our parish is Mechama Sashus. The question becomes we find this from the Chassidish Parsha at least, concept of Chassidish, the angle of Chassidish. Chassidish explains his Psukim in the spiritual realm.
the Milchama, the battle we're talking about here, is the Milchama of every Jew against his enemy, the enemy being the Sahara. And he's obligated to capture it, to conquer it and ca- capture it. And should take from there captives. Not take the Yitzhahara and just kill him, but take the Yitzhahara and get him to serve Hashem as well. Get him to also, all his ideas, be turned to good. This is Mechamah Sashos. Let's consider Mechamah Sashos. That's what Chassidus explains. But the fact is, though, this is Mechamah Sashos. This is an obligatory battle. One needs to battle this way and this and this going to this battlefield on a daily basis on a constant basis. This is what it's all about: fighting the Yitzhahara, conquering the Yitzhahara, seeing to it that the Yitzhahara does what we want him to do, not what he, not getting him to do us, not getting him to make us do what he wants us to do. Is it a battle? Is it a struggle? Probably the most severe war that any, any, anyone or anything can help, hold. It's hard. We all have thoughts. Some better, some worse. Some kinder, some harsher some softer, some loving, some the opposite. We all have thoughts. Mind constantly bat- is, is working. If Hashem is not, we're in trouble. That being said, we need to see to it that our thoughts are all pure. Make our thoughts pure. as we say make our thoughts pure make us feel make us understand make us believe that what we are thinking what we are doing and what's happening within our minds and our hearts is pure making us imagine that this is the right way to think. We always discuss and we always talk about and we always delve into the concept of Das Teda. It's not just a concept, it's a way of life. Teda opinion. What does Teda dictate for us to do? The Yitzhahara is no fool. When the Yitzhahara comes to talk to us, he has a very, very, very sharp tongue, a very sweet tongue, a very interesting tongue, intriguing. And the Yitzhahara, as we spoke many times, as the Altarebbe explains in Tanya, is like the spider. The spider doesn't come in right away and kill its prey. The spider spins a web. 
flying. Fly could just pick itself up and walk off. Fly away. Fly, he gets complacent, he gets comfortable there. In the interim, the, the spider spins another web. Until the web is so thick, and the fly becomes so entangled, it can no longer escape. At that point, the spider, which is the weaker creature, really, now takes its help, hapless ca- captive, kills him and eats him. The Yetzirah does not like to just come to somebody and say, go do Averis. Go do sins. Go eat what you shouldn't eat. Go drink what you shouldn't drink. Go act the way you shouldn't act. Chas Yetzirah comes in a very, very... He wears his own cloak of a... looking like a glorious rabbi. And he tells the person, you know, you're getting up every, every morning very, very, very early. Why? Because before davening you want to learn some tater. Before davening you want to say some tehillim. Before davening you want to prepare yourself properly to go to daven. Because after all, you call you talk to Akadri Baruch. And then you go to shul. And in shul, you put on your towels and film, or even if you're a woman, you go to the ladies' section, you take your sitter, and you open up the sitter, and you begin to daven word for word. Or even if at home, you're davening word for word. Davening is taking you an hour, hour and a half. You immediately, when you finish davening, you look obviously at the clock, because that's the nature of the beast. You see the tardiness of the hour, and you immediately eat something as quick as you can. Obviously, you make a bracha, and you make a bracha achreina, bracha an after bracha, and you're off to your daily grind. You're off to work, off to whatever you go off to do. Listen here. I don't know if you remember yesterday, but yesterday you were feeling sluggish. You're feeling sluggish. First of all, you're not sleeping enough. Second of all, you're not eating enough. Third of all, you should use a coffee in the morning. Mm -hmm. So now, Yitzhara's got a little bit of a twist. You need an extra half hour sleep. Hit that snooze button. I, you're not going to learn that much before davening. It's fine, because it's more important that you sleep. It's body, your body needs it. It's not healthy. <laughs> Had a mashpia that told us once that if you sleep, according to the Ramah, it says you sleep eight hours a night. If you sleep eight hours a night, and you live for 99 years, 
you will have slept 33 years. 33 of the 99 years you have slept. Can you live with that? It didn't fare well. <coughs> At least not in my mind. That eight hours no longer looked so tempting. Not gonna lie, just sometimes try to get a few, few and far between. A winter and Friday night. Then comes Yitzhara and says, Your davening is taking too long. Taking too long? Instead of an hour and a half, if you daven for an hour, it'd be a beautiful thing. It'd be a real, from Jew, a whole hour davening. I mean, look, there's a minion over there that's called a matzah minion. Why is it called a matzah minion? Because it takes 18 minutes. Doesn't want to become a chametz So you're davening for an hour. She, you're a tzaddik. So why an hour and a half? Daven for an hour. Sit down, and eat a proper breakfast. Everything is logical. Everything sounds right. Nothing here that he's saying sounds off the charts. Nothing sounds like you're being um, deterred from Avedis Hashem. He's telling you very simple. Your service to Hashem will be enhanced by, quote-unquote, cutting his corners. Adding a little bit of sleep adding a little bit of breakfast you'll be healthier, you'll feel better you won't be sluggish you'll be able to do what you do during the day and have strength to do something at night as well maybe even to sit and learn something does it sound so wrong? does it sound so illogical? no Unfortunately, it sounds really good. That extra half hour of sleep. Not necessarily having to go to the mikveh in the morning. And extra breakfast. I can be more careful. It doesn't have to be something that's so fattening. I can have maybe make myself a salad or something myself some more time to think and to plan the meal properly and he cuts down and he cuts down and he cuts down from the preparation to davening and he cuts down to the davening itself and eventually he has you davening with the matzah minion and eventually your breakfast is not necessarily 100% not chasham, 100% kosher even anymore. Because he convinced you that this is more nutritious and that's more nutritious and there's a head to eat this, there's a head to eat that because after all, you need it for your, for your body. And the Yetzirah eventually, eventually gets both his hands and feet into your system. 
So says the Yitzhara. The Yitzhara has different tracts. The Yitzhara can convince people they can fly. Yitzhara is very powerful. Very sharp tongue. Very convincing. Very conniving. And nothing good in mind. And we have that battle. We all have that battle. Al-Tarev explains in Tanya how people, different people, different Tanayim, Davar Melech, they killed their Yetzirah. They fasted, saw it in the amount of time, so that they can kill their Yetzirah. <laughs> what fun is it? What fun is it without a Yetzirah? What a boring life it would be. Nobody to tell you what you're doing is wrong or right. Just knowing that you're doing everything good and everything right and you're a goody good, the goody two shoes. It's how it spice to life. He gives the challenge. He gives that oomph into your day. So that when you do do what you're doing, and you continue getting up the time you get up, and you continue diving the amount of time you diving, and you continue only eating the breakfast that you can eat breakfast in the minimum time so that you can go to Avedis Hashem just enough so that you can serve Hashem. You're a little sluggish, you're a little sluggish. But bottom line, Tachlis, you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're applying yourself with the right ideas. The constant battle with the Yetzirah that plants all the worst thoughts and trains of thought in the person's heart and mind. To get the person to deviate from the proper path, to get the person to do what they shouldn't be thinking or doing or talking. Talking is by the Ganesht. You think that talking is just a word, it's words are free? First of all, every word is counted. You only have X amount of words in your lifetime. Second of all, in Lashon Hara, for example, there's a thing called Avak Lashon Hara, which means it was an imp- you implied something. You didn't have to necessarily say it. You implied something about somebody and thereby saying putting them in a derogatory light, in a bad light. This is Lashon Hara. It's a category of Lashon Hara. And it's so simple, yet so hard. It's so simple to say, but yet so hard to control. Even if you want to say something good about somebody, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because someone's going to hear a different twist in your voice. Someone's going to hear a different idea come out of your mind and heart and he's immediately going to run with it. Did you hear what he said about that person? But I didn't say that. Come on, you know that's what you were saying. On the other hand, the question comes about, 
we know that through Avedis Hashem we have reward. Terry guarantees us that a reward will be given to somebody that totally dedicates and devotes himself to the service of Hashem. Like a servant. Servant has to serve their master. However, he doesn't necessarily get rewards for each time he serves his master. This is his obligation. But Amisol is chayiv to serve Hashem because it says in the Apostle, If that's the case, we're serving God like slurvens. Why are we getting a reward? We've spoken once about the story of Rabbi Akiva, who had a certain emperor, Tunisrufus, that in his time, they used to always antagonize, they used to always try to twist words of Teda, words of thoughts of Teda, and ask Rabbi Akiva these conniving questions. And he once asked Rabbi Akiva, Pray tell, if I had a, a slave that was unfaithful, and I threw him into jail, and I told them, do not feed him, do not anything, do not take care of him, let him rot in jail. And after a while, I go down to see this withering, suffering creature who I despise so because he's my slave that betrayed me. And I see he's healthy and robust, clean. He's able to use the bathroom, he's able to shower, he's able to eat, drink. What's going on here? What do you think my reaction would be when I find out who helped him? I decapitate the fella. It cut his head off. What kind of chutzpah? I said let him rot in jail and you guys went against my word, fed him and clothed him and bathed him. Pasuk says, says to Nisrufus to the Akiva, the Bnei Yisrael are servants, are slaves to God. When God decrees that one of his servants should be poor, a person doesn't just get poor. A person can be involved in every different type of way to make money and Chmanalatzlan just never be successful. Whereas you have on the other hand a person that doesn't even put a finger into cold water and is just boiling with a silver spoon in his mouth. I'm only using these examples because that's what everybody thinks, that's what everybody sees. We all know it's not the truth. There are ways and there are ways. There are people that make money, and there are people that can't make money. He was just sitting and learning Tate all day. But bottom line, 
So the Shufa says, if God decreed that this person be poor and live in poverty, how can you give him charity? How can you give him tzedakah? This is betraying the king. A betrayal to the king who has direct edict that this person starved to death. And yet you're feeding him. Yet you're helping him. You're helping him pay his rent, pay his mortgage. You're helping him feed his children. You're helping him live. You're helping him exist. You're helping him make weddings. You're helping him make bamitzas. Listen. What's going on here? You're going against the edict of God who said that this man should be suffering in poverty. And therefore, instead of tzedakah tatzel mi moves, instead of charity saving from death, it should be the opposite. Anyone that gives tzedakah should be b'chaz shalom. How dare you go against God's decree? And Bikiva smiled and said, You're taking only a pasuk, one pasuk out of the tailor that has so many psukim. I want to ask you, he says to the Tanasrufus, if you had an only child and your only child did something wrong, and he got you really angry. And because you were really angry, you said, throw him in prison. And let him rot. Nobody dare feed him, nobody dare take care of him, nobody, anything. Let him rot there. And two, three days go by and you start to get these pangs. And say to yourself, my son, my son, my only child. My crown prince. What's become of him? I'm sure he learned his lesson. I hope he's still alive, though. Because after all, if he hasn't been eating three days already, no eating, no bathing. He's used to the luxuries of life. And now all of a sudden, he's totally, totally deprived of this. Who knows if he's still breathing? I must run down and see if I can save my son because the compassion welled up within the king. And he runs down and he sees indeed the prince is healthy and robust, sitting in clean clothing, well well kept, well fed, just in a prison cell. But the prison cell itself has a nice bed in it. What would you tell the person that you found out was helping him? What would you tell that person that say, kept him alive and kept him safe and healthy? I'd reward him to no end. My son, my only child. Taylor tells us, You are children of God. And we are children of Hashem. We are the Ben Yachid. We are that only child. Each and every Jew. So if Chas one of those children of God, were decreed to be poor, Were decreed was decreed upon them to suffer poverty, Shemish No. We need to see to it, look after him. Because the day of reckoning will come and Akash Baruch will look at this child and say, Uh oh, uh oh. 
Why was no one looking after my only son? What I decreed, I decreed, but you still have your obligations. Your obligations of giving tzedakah, your obligations of tithing, your obligations of seeing to it that what you have been endowed with is not yours. It's mine. I let you hold on to it and enjoy it. But when my only child, my Ben Yochit, comes to you and says, I need food, I need to make a wedding, I need to make a mitzvah, I need to make a bris, I need to make anything else, I need to pay tuition, I need to pay rent, whatever it might be, I want you to open your wallet, my friend. I want you to help him out. And when you do, I will give you tremendous rewards for this. Aser te aser. Sasha. Tight so that you become wealthy. And if you can afford it, even a fifth. But see to it that you're giving the charity to the B'nai Yisrael, to the poor child, to the poor Ben Yachar of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whom HaKadosh Baruch Hu, yes, decreed that he should live in poverty, but no, does not want him to suffer. He is, he is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's child. From here we see that there is the way of the service of Hashem. We have the servant part of us that we need. We have an obligation to serve God. Whereas on the other hand, we live in Mechemes Rishos, where we have free choice. And therefore, in this realm as a child we may reap and we may take in reward the sages say before the world was created HaKadosh Baruch Hu was looking for advice whether it's worth creating it or not says Chazal whom did he ask? He spoke to the souls of the tzaddikim. Which means to say that, so to say, HaKadosh Baruch took counsel from the Neshama Yisrael, the souls of the Jews, because Amech Kulam Tzaddikim. Your nation is entirely, it's pure, totally, all of you are all tzaddikim. And he asked, should I create the world or not? And they agreed, the creation of the world is a very good idea. And Mimele, going down to a physical body in which they will live, in which they will accomplish, in which they will do what they need to do. In this we encompass the two angles. The angle of obligation and the angle of permissible, permissible being permissible. After Neshama Yisrael already came down into the world and were put into a Guv Kashmi, they have an obligation to serve Hashem. Like a servant, like a slave, 
needs to serve his master. Once, however, after the actual decision for the creation of the world came in their favor and came because of them, therefore the battle against the Yitzhara is referred to as Mechemes Rishus, permissible war. And therefore, we get reward for it. Therefore, we can claim reward and we can take captives, etc. What is the reward of a mitzvah? What Mishnah Kipitzkor at home is a Mishnah Pirkeovitz, Peritalit Mishnah Beis. Schar mitzvah, mitzvah. The reward for a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Every mitzvah that a Jew ex- excels in and completes, he is bringing about and enhancing that everlasting light of HaKadosh Baruch in the world and preparing the world for the Gula. This reward stands already now and thereby in the in the properties and in the, in the ownership of each and every Jew and therefore it's compared to what's right now unfortunately a locked up treasure but each and every Jew has the key in their own hand and when one uses their key and does another mitzvah and causes himself and within himself to bring about another mitzvah which a mitzvah brings another mitzvah he's conquering thereby not only himself but the entire world and giving the entire world putting the entire world in a vista of judgment of a proper judgment and obviously through that bring about the Gula Mitzvah Shlema and we will at that point see the true reward which we anticipated which we are waiting The famous mitzvah of the parsha is the mitzvah of Shiluach Hakan. Shiluach Haken. Someone to pronounce it. Sending away the mother bird, coming to a nest, sending away the mother bird and taking the eggs. And the Torah tells us the manyitavloch varachta yaman. It will be good for you, and you will be blessed with longevity. Question becomes, it is a very simple mitzvah. Taking a bird's nest with its eggs and walking away, sending away the mother, shooing away the mother. Obviously the mother bird is going to be scared of you. And taking the nest and the eggs. And yet... The reward for this is twofold and at such a great magnitude. It's going to be good for you and you'll be blessed with longevity. Wow. So Rashi answers. 
This is what the Tera wants to show you. If such a simple mitzvah has such great re- reward, so much more so, the reward for these mitzvahs that are much harder. Which means to say, Tera chose to show us the great reward dafka in the smallest, simplest mitzvah. Which has no real, nothing really happens from it. You're not gaining anything from it. To tell us and to teach us the great reward that awaits us for all the greater mitzvahs. Ones that cost you money, ones that, that cost you kaychis, that cost you time. How much more so is their reward? This still needs to be understood. If the Tate is looking for a simple mitzvah that doesn't have what's called chesor and kiss, no outlay of money from your pocket, in order to emphasize the greatness of the rewards of keeping Tain and Mitzvahs, could have taken a simple Mitzvah. Something you don't even need to do. Saying Shema. Saying Shema. The davening. You don't have to invest at all into it. Why is that not a good enough Mitzvah to do? Read the Shema, and you will therefore have all these great rewards. Then I'll say, okay, by reading the Shema, I get it. So obviously, so much more so if I do a physical mitzvah. Gemara tells us that if a person loses money, Oh boy. Then his mother had a stroke. She husband. But here by Salka, she had a foolish name. person loses money, and a poor person picks up that money and benefits from it, that person has the mitzvah of tzedakah. You get the mitzvah of tzedakah. You lost money, and someone found it. And you get the mitzvah of tzedakah. You did nothing. As a matter of fact, not only you did nothing, you probably felt bad. You felt bad, you lost your money. But a poor person picked it up and benefited from it, was able to feed his family from it. 
you are given the reward of tzedakah. How much easier does it get? How much easier does it get? The Yehud of the Mitzvah Shloch Khan. Why it's considered a mitzvah kala. Because it's not enveloped in anything, any kind of hardships. As a matter of fact, Teddy doesn't tell us you need to go out into the fields and find a bird's nest, make sure they're kosher birds, etc., and send away the mother bird and take the nest. It doesn't say. It says, It will happen, circumstance will happen, and you will happen to come across this bird's nest. Not something that you have to go out and look for. Not go out and look for a poor person to give him tzedakah. Not go out and make your matzah so that you can have matzah for Pesach and eat matzah on Pesach. Not go out and physically build your sukkah, buy your dollar minim, or go hear shefer, or blow shefer, which is all physical things that you must go out and do in order to get it done. You literally tripped over it. You literally walked by it and you saw this nest in a tree, in a bush, whatever it was. It was circumstantial. It was not something that you were looking for. And that mitzvah just literally rolled into your lap. And you get to take the the chiclets or the uh, eggs... First of all, you need to send away the mother bird. That tells us the reward is so great. Other mitzvahs like Krishna we have our good friend the Yitzhahara involved. The person is very, very busy. And although he's supposed to link Krishna at a certain time, there's a time frame, there's a window from between Alisha Shachar and Seizman Krishna, which is about three hours. You have to read Krishna in those hours. Before it's not worth anything, and after it's... You missed it. You missed the boat. <coughs> which, unfortunately, many people don't consider very severe. No, I missed Seizman Krishna. I overslept. I've told this story as well about Beryl Kerevich, my sister's her father-in-law was fasting one day. Why was he fasting? It wasn't a fast day. He was fasting for a tiny cholum. He was fasting because he had a very bad dream. And this bad dream scares him so badly that he's fasting for it to do tshuva. 
And his daughter asked him, Tato, what did you dream? And he says, I dreamt that I overslept Zman Krishna. That's a chosid. That's a chosid. His nightmare was so severe that he fasted for it. Which is the thing, that the person has a very bad dream, it's supposed to fast. Today we redeem it with tzedakah. Not everybody's capable of fasting. But the nightmare he had was that he overslept Zman Krishna. Halavaya Lenu. So, a person gets busy in the morning, you get a phone call. It's quick, you got to come help me with this, help me with that. And you run to help, you're doing the mitzvah, you're running, you're helping the person. You say, Barakas, but not Krishna. And suddenly you realize, oops, I missed my Krishna. It happens. I'm not going to say it happens all the time. I'm not going to say it happens... It's an easy thing to happen, but it happens. If to stop the world, it's just a link Shishma. This is a, a, a job. So if the Tatum would tell us that how great the reward is for this mitzvah, we would think. The reward is so great because I have to literally sometimes stop my world to be able to do this. Therefore, the Matera choose the mitzvah of Khan, a simple mitzvah in everyone's eyes. It needs nothing. It does. It need, obligates you to do nothing really. You don't have to invest. You don't have to re- take off time. You just and it's something that's circumstantial happens to come across you comes your way therefore the Torah says if such a mitzvah such a simple simple mitzvah so much more so for the rest of the mitzvahs and immediately after the Pasuk tells us about Shiloh HaKan doing the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKan Pasuk continues Many people say Shlokh Haken. So if that bothers you, I say Shlokh Haken, I'm sorry. It bothers me when they say Shlokh Haken. Anyway. The next passage is Kisivna Bayez Chodesh, Vasisa Michael Gagecha. Talks about building a house and putting on the house a, a railing around the roof and then it talks about putting on a, a, a planting a, a vineyard and then it talks about being careful the shotness and then it, all the different physical things that a person is going to go through Tells the tailor, if you kept, if you did the mitzvah of Shloach HaKan, in the end you're going to build a new house, you're going to keep, you're going to build a, put a mic on the roof, and you're going to have a mitzvah that's going to roll into another mitzvah, into another mitzvah. And ultimately you'll have fields, and you'll have garments, and you'll have everything that you need, all the physical 
amenities that a person requires and lives to live. So here we also see that it's not only the great mitzvah, the great reward, but also the kayach of the simple mitzvah rolls into many other mitzvahs. And when you awaken the neshama of every Jew, a spark in the neshama, even though at the beginning they find it, they say it's a mitzvah, call it a simple mitzvah. This comes to the simplest mitzvah, brings on other mitzvahs. And by doing mitzvah into mitzvah into mitzvah, we merit ksivach, simatevah, shanatevah, mesukah in all its ways. The Rebbe told a story. But since I'm repeating this story, so obviously the Rebbe tells the story. It's obviously something that we need to live with, that we could always live with and always repeat and relive literally the way the Rebbe was telling the story. Because I can still see the Rebbe telling it, the nachas that Rebbe had while he told it. And the beauty of the story. One of the things, that, one of the maesters of the Friedrich Rebbe, actually my son, one of my sons very involved in is the release time program. The release time program is the children go, the Bachram go, and they stand outside the public schools on Wednesdays. It's called Wednesday hour also. Release time, Wednesday hour. That's what's called Wednesday hour. Developed into release time. And I think it has another name already now. Anyway, stand outside the public schools and meet with the parents, find the Jewish parents, and tell the Jewish parents, you're not sending your child to yeshiva. How will he know he's Jewish? How will he prevent him marrying a shiksa? How will he prevent her marrying a non-Jew? How will we make sure that they grow up to be Jewish? To remember the Jewish? you got to lay on the Jewish guilt sometimes. No, not really. Offer a beautiful program. Every Wednesday we're going to come here, we're going to pick up your son, we're going to go to the shul across the street. We have wonderful bachrim that are very inspired. And they will teach your children about their beautiful heritage. They will teach your children how proud they need to be to be a Jew. They shouldn't be embarrassed from it. shouldn't look and say, oh, I have a non-Jewish friend and look how good they are, look how lucky they are, look, how, look all the great things that they can have and I can't have. And they shouldn't want what they have. They should want a menorah in their window and not chasashol on the tree. Kitzer, one of the little girls that attended the release time must have been six or seven years old. They go from all ages, straight till bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah. And the instructor I believe in those days was still a boy because we didn't have the uh, manpower to get the girls to go as well and you didn't want boys and girls going together. So the boys would 
teach the girls as well, even up until, of course, Bas Mitzvah. And the instructor told the child that you little girls have a tremendous mitzvah in your hands that you need to do and that Rebbe wants them to do. And this is something that the Rebbe was very, very involved in, felt was very, very relevant and important. And many people that are not necessarily Chassidic Chabad have their daughters as well, before, even before they get married, to light Shabbos candles. The Rebbe said every Jewish woman and girl should be lighting Shabbos candles. Should light the candle of Shabbat before Shabbos, before the suns, before the time on Friday. And the same on the holidays. And light, we know that a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness. And therefore, this light, each, each, each candle lit, will push away the darkness of the world that is veiled upon us. And the instructor didn't just give this empty-handedly. The instruction was given and the brochure was given out with a bracha and a little candle with a candle oven. Oh, it's Wednesday afternoon. Little girl comes home with her candle, a little candelabra. And the mother says, Shtoetu, was this? And I don't know. They, may not, they probably were not Russian in those days. Mother just asked, What's going on, Mamala? And she said, My instructor taught us that Arab Shabbos. Every woman and girl needs to light a Shabbos candle. And they gave me a candle to light. So I want to light my candle before Shabbos. It says here, it's going to be on Friday at 5.16. What? Okay. Alright, Mama. She's a little girl. It's Wednesday. Go to sleep now. Have dinner. Go to sleep. We'll talk. Close Wednesday. By Thursday, the mother said, eh, she's already forgotten about this thing a long time ago. She doesn't throw it out, Hashem, she puts it on a shelf. Friday, the little girl goes to school, comes home. Ah, she's definitely forgotten about it, so I'm not going to mention it. I don't light, she's not lighting. All of a sudden, at 4.30, the little girl who could barely tell time starts saying, where did you put my candle? I need the light soon. Mother says, oh boy. Oh boy. We got a problem, Houston. But the girl was insistent. And the mother took down the candle, put it on the table. Said, okay, you can write, light it. But you got to be careful, so I'll help light it with you because the fire, I want you to play with fire. little girl says, but there's a bracha, and I don't know the bracha by heart, that's just to cover my eyes. How am I going to say the bracha? <laughs> Obviously the mother takes the transliterated, or maybe she even read Hebrew, brochure, 
Or maybe she remembered the bracha herself. From her mother. I don't know that prat. The Rebbe doesn't mention that prat in the story. But they make the bracha together. And the candle burns. And they go on in their regular Friday evening business. So watching the game, this one this, this one that. But uh, it's a fad. It's a fad. So the candle burns out. Megid Comes next Wednesday. The little girl comes home with another candle. Not a candelabra. She has a candelabra from last week. Another candle. I got another one. We're going to light it again on Friday. And lo and behold, she makes sure to remember. And lo and behold, she lights the candle. And slowly but surely, she starts picking up on the bracha. The third week the candle was lit, the mother said, It's wrong the TV and everything while the candle is burning while the candle is lit let's, let's turn off the TV ok they didn't say turn off the phones because it's, this is a story happened many many years ago before cell phones they didn't have to turn off the pagers Kisser the next week the mother says it's anyway dinner time now because the Shabbos came in earlier. So let's leave that Shabbos candle on the table and we'll light, we'll eat dinner around it. A few weeks of this beautiful new custom of having the Shabbos candle on the table and they didn't dinner around it. The mother says to the father, you know, that your father also used to do it. They used to make on Friday night Kiddush. It comes transliterated. They take a cup of wine. We anyway drink wine with the meal. Why don't you take the cup of wine? Before we start the meal, make Yiddish. And they did. And they made Yiddish. The kids said, week evolved into a week, and the family became totally Shemeshavas and Telemitzis. From the little light which dispelled the great darkness. And this is what mitzvahs show us. Mitzvah kala, the simplest of mitzvahs, how it could bring about light through the entire dark world that we are in. And it should be, today should be filled with light. And we should be zeta a happy year and a healthy year written and inscribed in the book of life and the book of happiness and joy with wealth and health and children and nachas and shaduchim Shabbat Shalom to all